Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Today's episode is brought to you by Basecap. So I remember when, you know, really building companies as an entrepreneur, how really frustrating is when you have people missing out deadlines, there's people that are not copied on emails, and then, you know, like everyone ends up failing in the pursuit of, of, of accomplishing things. So email is really great when you're doing one-to-one conversations, but when you have a ton of people there copied, you know, there's going to be people that are going to be missing out on stuff. So for project management, I actually found Basecamp and I found it to be a really fantastic solution. You know, basically what they are is a collaboration type of uh, tool that allows people to really engage with their offer message boards, the to-dos, the schedules, their document sharing, the group chats, and other tools that are going to help you in taking the game of your company to the next level. So go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and sign up today for their 30-day free trial. And there is no credit card that is required and you can cancel at any time. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a repeated founder. So someone that has done the full cycle, you know, and now he is on his next baby, a rocket ship. So we're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, and of course, exiting as well. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ankit Gupta. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Alejandro. Glad to be here. So originally born in India, you know, obviously now you're, you're in the U.S., you're making a killing here, you know, as an entrepreneur, but originally born in India. So, so give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up in India? Well, uh, you know, I was born in a town called Ajmer uh, in the state of Rajasthan. Uh, I don't remember much from early childhood because I lived most of my childhood in Mumbai. Uh, and uh, my mom worked at a uh, nuclear energy company uh, in India. And so, you know, we lived in this community with scientists and engineers. Uh, pretty much everyone was working in the nuclear energy industry. So I remember growing up uh, with... Uh, obviously, uh, a, a really tight knit community of, of friends and and uh, uh, you know my mom's mom's friends, but also a lot of competition. You know, everyone was uh, the kid of a scientist, kid of an engineer. Everyone wanted to succeed. People used to look across the window and see, you know, if someone's still studying at two a.m. in the morning, and and then you know try to do that the next day. Uh, so yeah, it was. You know, it, it was a it was a pretty uh, unique uh, community to grow up in India. Now, in your case, you ended up studying computer science. So, why out of all things computer science? <laughs> I was quite lucky to have the ability to pick what I want to study. Uh, I think very few people get that opportunity in India. I wanted to go to uh, IIT Bombay, um, and I was really interested in. Uh, physics. Uh, I was really interested in math, and and so when I was trying to decide sort of what to work on, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, just roaming around the campus and and talking to people and and uh, uh, knocking on professors' doors and understanding kind of uh, what what different areas are about. 
And I remember going into this one professor, she she was a computer science professor, and I asked her sort of, what does it mean to, you know, be 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 doing computer science? And and she basically told me, Ankit, if you like math, if you like probability, thinking in, in terms of frameworks, algorithms, I think you'll really enjoy computer science. I was already biased towards computer science. My dad is a again a serial entrepreneur. One of his companies was actually a coaching center uh, for uh, learning how to code. So she, you know, he was educating, uh, running classes on on Java and Visual Basic and JavaScript and HTML. And I was a kid, and I ended up taking a, a bunch of those classes and spent a bunch of my time around computers. And so I thought, well, I, I already like computers. I already know some programming languages. I like math. Probably will, will like computer science. And thankfully, that decision has uh, has has been a great one. So in your case, you landed in Stanford. So I mean, I'd say I'm sure that your your parents were very proud because I know that in India, you know, there is a lot of pressure, you know, in the culture towards, you know, getting the best degree from the best university you can in the world. So I'm sure you made your parents very proud. <laughs> I think so. Uh, you know, I I think my parents were also quite relieved <laughs> that, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to a good place. I think they were a little sad that, you know, I'm I'm on the other side of the continent. But no, they they have always been supportive. Uh, you know. Uh, my mom's always wanted me to uh, to be the best at at uh, what I do, and and always push me towards entrepreneurship, and that's what truly attracted me to Stanford. You know, hearing stories about Google, about uh, Apple, Hewlett Packard, you know, Silicon Valley, hearing you know Facebook, and the culture that can actually allow you to take an idea into 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 reality um, constantly. Uh, you know, I think I think I wanted to do that, and and my mom and my dad completely supported that that sort of ambition. Did you always knew that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I feel like I didn't have a choice. <laughs> uh, my dad has been an entrepreneur ever since I I have known him, and and you know, my mom's been uh, uh, kind of has promoted that too. Like, I remember in college, I would talk about business ideas. Uh, you know, uh, there was an entrepreneurship cell at IIT Bombay, which I was a part of. You know, I was working on, uh, I remember the fourth year, so the last year of our undergrad, Google came to campus and basically told us, you know, we're looking for, uh, uh, there was a competition and they were looking for sort of product companies to come out of the competition and and they would give a massive prize for for sort of the team that won the competition and i was the one that really uh you know <laughs> convinced my friends to sort of team up and we created this idea to create a service called polls um which is kind of like survey monkey like creating polls online or or type form back then and and we we you know applied and we won the competition so i feel like it's always been in my my DNA, I think like our dinner table conversations at home were around, you know, financing and, and cash flow and problems with employees and, and stuff like that. So I feel like it, I've always been around it, that that's just become how I think. Uh, to, to, uh, uh, it's been challenging. Like if I go to a water park or something, or if I go on a hike, you know, I, I start thinking about the business model behind these, these activities <laughs> and it really pisses my wife off. Uh, 
but yeah, that's now now in in your case, you know, first company, first uh, success. So, a Pulse News. So you started a company coming out of Stanford, and you know, tell us about it because, I mean, the outcome was unbelievable. So uh, so tell thank us about you, thank it. You. Yeah, it was a fortunate accident. My my friend and I we took a course at the design school at Stanford called Launchpad. It was a pretty unique entrepreneurship course run by two amazing uh, faculty members, Eric Leban and, and Michael Deering. You know, we had to create, we had to launch a company in five weeks, made it profitable in the next five weeks. Uh, and so it was fast-paced. Uh, and we basically picked this idea to create an app to read news on the go. Uh, because this was in 2010, the iPad had just come out and we were the first ones standing in line in the Apple store in Palo Alto. We got the iPad, we opened it, we played around with it, and we realized that this is an amazing consumption device. Uh, and, and so we absolutely need a fantastic news reading experience. Uh, and we started coding from, from the first day. Uh, and, and so we launched Pulse on the App Store. Uh, it wasn't great. <laughs> it crashed a lot. Um, but, but there was something there. And we didn't have an office. So we would literally sit in uh, this cafe in Palo Alto and I would be writing code and my co-founder would be taking the app and showing it to people and getting feedback from them and bringing that feedback back to me. And then we would change it and we would do it multiple times a day constantly till we got it right. And uh, I think we just got quite lucky where the app started resonating with people. And even though the app was a paid app, we had 250 downloads in the first six months of the app. Like we literally raised our angel round just by selling the app. And then and then we raised funding and then we, we grew the app and, and eventually we got to all platforms, you know, internationally, we got to about 30 million of uh, 30 million downloads of the app and 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 was eventually acquired by LinkedIn. Now let's talk about this because did you guys raise how much money did you raise for Pulse News? We raised something like twenty million or so, maybe maybe lesser actually, maybe around 10, 10 to fifteen million. So 10 to 15 million. And obviously, I mean, you raise the money. You guys are, you know, making making a killing. And at what point does LinkedIn come knocking? <laughs> I remember we were in the process of raising our Series B. And we were talking to a bunch of investors. One of my mentors was the head of product at LinkedIn at that time. And so I think we just got reconnected. You know, we, we, we were having a conversation. and. Uh, we didn't know, but LinkedIn was actively working on building a news team and investing heavily in news at that time. Uh, so, you know, I think just organically, we ended up having a conversation with with the Corp Dev team and with the head of product for the news division. And turns out the synergies are massive. <laughs> you know, uh, what we were doing around creating a, a, a news experience for power users people who are commuting, people people who want industry news at their fingertips. That's exactly what LinkedIn was trying to build. And so I think the question in our mind was, hey, do we want to, I mean, we had had acquisition, multiple acquisition offers along the way. We had, we had never accepted them because we always wanted to build the company further to further our mission. Um, here, we had an opportunity where, you know, through LinkedIn, we could still achieve our mission, but we don't have to worry about revenue. <laughs> we don't have to worry about building a sales team. 
making this business a profitable business like all of those things which i love now but 10 years ago i really wanted to build build the product <laughs> i wanted to build the best user experience um uh, and and that was the opportunity linkedin gave us so yeah we you know we we decided to go with it but but i think acquisition offers come constantly uh because you know you're either a a competitor to an existing incumbent um or or you're disrupting you're you're growing so quickly that you could add a new line of business to 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 a company so um you know it's always a trade off between whether you want to raise more funding and and go at it by yourself or or whether you want to get a part um i think as i think the ultimate uh sort of north star is how are you going to achieve the mission that you set out to achieve and how how long did it take the process from beginning to end with linkedin <laughs> oh my god uh it was crazy fast really? we yeah i so we had the first meeting with corp dev on on like a thursday we met the head of product on friday uh i remember my co-founder and i had separate hiking camping trips planned that weekend in 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 the bay area uh i was in big sur he was in monterey he had more self service than me somehow he called he got a hold of me and we drove up all the way from monterey and had a meeting with jeff weiner the ceo of linkedin at that time on a sunday morning we both drove back to monterey uh monday morning we had a term sheet and tuesday we signed the term sheet my god so it was like no time yeah it was insane i mean it just it was just the perfect match wow and it's worked out So I mean, you 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 sign you sign this thing, the deal gets done, ninety million dollars. I mean, that's a lot of zeros. That is, I mean, that was diligence after the deal, so that wasn't you know money wired to the bank after four days, but but you know we yeah. we we passed the diligence, we tied the knot, and yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's unbelievable. I mean, and anything that you do that you did to splurge, you know, a little bit or no. <laughs> I did. I did. I was really nervous about this, but I actually bought a red convertible Audi S5. I love it. Wow. Well, the German cars are the best, so good choice. <laughs> They're the best for spending a lot of money for Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah no like, kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So so then so then obviously in this case, you know, like you joined, you ended up joining LinkedIn and mm-hmm. you were with LinkedIn for about three years. And then LinkedIn gets acquired by Microsoft. And you know, yeah. that kind of like gives you some perspective. What happened after? Yeah, I mean, I think LinkedIn when I joined uh, you know, was a much smaller company than when uh I left. I left right around when the Microsoft acquisition happened. Um and you know, I've always enjoyed building products and services that people love to use. Um and and I feel like I wanted to keep doing more of that whereas at a bigger company a lot of it ends up being sort of management and and rising the corporate hierarchy which is a completely different skill set which I totally suck at <laughs> so uh I didn't want to keep doing that and I actually wanted to work on something that's hopefully much bigger much more impactful uh, at least personally much more meaningful to me and and something that again I can take from zero to to one or at least zero to an exit. Um and so I started searching for that. I mean it was a scary thought uh 
of 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 just sort of leaving and and figuring it out. But I remember meeting uh, uh, one of my other mentors, and he, you know, David from from IDEO, and he basically told me, Ankit, like your life has been sort of pre-planned for you till now. Like people told you to go to undergrad, you went to undergrad. Go to college, you went to college. Get a job, you know. Do do stuff. Now you're actually trying to create a new muscle where you have to actually figure out what to do for yourself, right? Actually figure out how to how to pick something to do. And and it's scary, it's hard, but but you know, you'll figure it out. So it took me about two years to figure out what to do next. But it was a beautiful, beautiful time. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I gotta tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, you're talking about this a lot. You know, you have pretty amazing mentors. So how, how, how do you meet those mentors? And then how do, you, how do you really set up the expectation for them to be a mentor? I mean, how do you go about that? Probably a lot of people that are listening are wondering, how the hell does Ankit get these insane mentors? <laughs> I think I'm just very transparent about the help I need. <laughs> like I, I, I feel like I, I, I sort of ask, you know. I feel like I also listen and and execute on the 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 guidance, so that gives the mentor more confidence in in me. Uh, I I also love networking. Actually, like I, you know, I genuinely like meeting people. And I genuinely like hearing their stories. And I feel like I can identify something in the person I'm meeting that's interesting and that I can learn from or if I can contribute and they can learn from. So I don't know. I like I like building connections and just asking <laughs> when when I need help. Now, one, one important connection that you made was obviously the most important, important connection in your life is with your wife. And, yes. And She's had a tremendous impact, you know, obviously in your life, but uh, obviously on what we're talking about, you know, on your career. Uh, and and she's a physician. So, you know, out of the conversations with her, that got you thinking yeah. and into the discovery phase that you were alluding to. So I guess that 
it ended up coming the push from your own wife <laughs> i know i know it's so funny uh i after i left linkedin i i uh, uh ended up getting married and you know like you said my wife uh is a physician she's an internal medicine physician and you know i i had never known much about the healthcare space uh and and it's funny how these things happen but yeah through through our dinner table conversations through just sort of learning more about what she's doing i realized that you know there's a bunch of patients with substance use disorder that are showing up at the hospital and and i started learning more about it and started talking to patients and i started learning about how opioid use disorder specifically is is a massive problem and how there are treatments that are quite efficacious but but are not available and just started learning more uh, about the clinical model about the space talking to more people in recovery and the more people i talked to the more i personally connected because you know opioid addiction can happen to anyone it starts from a pill that gets prescribed in a regular medical setting uh and and you know when i heard their journeys into recovery there were so many barriers that that came up um and and i started bicycle because i felt like those barriers we could easily overcome and we could massively improve access to to treatment but yeah you know it's <laughs> my my wife definitely had a pretty big role to play and even i mean she continues she's my she's my emotional co-founder you know through this journey i love it now Now in this case, you know, for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Bicycle Health? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so we provide treatment for opioid use disorder through telemedicine. Um and so we have a comprehensive care model that combines medication management, psychotherapy, peer support, recovery coaching, at-home drug testing, case management, care coordination and a lot more. Uh and this comprehensive care model is delivered by our team. Uh, so we have a full-time team of medical providers licensed clinical social workers certified recovery coaches clinical support specialists uh and so we have the largest medical group uh for addiction medicine in the country uh and we make money through through two ways uh we contract with health plans uh through a value based care model and so we uh you know bill health plans for the services we provide their patients their members uh and then for patients whose health plans or health insurance we don't accept we also have a self pay model so our patients pay us a monthly subscription fee uh, of 199 a month uh, for all of the services that we provide them and and for you guys you know here it sounds like covid was very productive so uh, what happened <laughs> what, what happened in covid because i mean it, it was just like four of you and then all of a sudden everything explodes in a very nice way <laughs> it was a silver lining so you know there was a pretty big regulatory change during covid there's an act called the Ryan Hate Act which mandates that an in-person examination has to be provided to the patient before prescribing controlled substances over telemedicine it's a federal act uh and since the medication we provide buprenorphine naloxone is a controlled medication we we are beholden to the Ryan Hate Act this act was actually waived during covid so during the covid public health emergency the Ryan Hate Act is waived and so that uh allowed us to provide our model fully over telemedicine uh, versus a hybrid model uh, so it obviously made the model more scalable now for the first couple of months into the pandemic uh we were just learning about the impact of this change uh and so 
before the pandemic, Bicycle Health was a clinic in Redwood City. It was not a venture-backed company. <laughs> it was a small business. Uh, and there were uh, three or four of us in Boston, which was the headquarters team. And then there was a clinic in Redwood City. And we were seeing patients in person at the clinic and then continuing treatment over telemedicine if that was appropriate. But as soon as the COVID public health emergency happened, everyone started working from home, our clinicians, our, our uh, administrative team. And so we moved all of our patients to the telemedicine model. And then we started monitoring outcomes. And we realized that the outcomes were actually getting better. We were more responsive to our patients. We were more engaging. Retention and treatment was getting better. The median time for enrolling a patient into our program came down significantly. And, and so we thought that, you know, this is actually a really good opportunity to expand the service. Uh, and so that's when I raised our seed round. Um, and now we have raised a couple more rounds subsequently, where we essentially went from one city to the entire state of California overnight. We were blown away by the demand. That's what led me to raise a round and, and, and grow this as a venture-backed business. And then now we've scaled Bicycle into several more states. We're in 26 states now, and, and we're continuing to be uh, you know, the largest uh, national provider. Nice. Now, how much capital have you guys raised to date? We've raised about uh, just over 80 million so far. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is the second time around that you are going at it. So you probably learned quite a bit from the good, the bad, <laughs> and the ugly of investors. So yeah. why did you choose the money you know, from these investors versus other investors? So this time around, you know, I've always raised from investors to solve a specific problem. Um, so there's a, they're solving a problem, and then there's also bringing the right type of investor on board. Uh, so our seed round I raised from SignalFire where we were uh, pretty much a direct-to-consumer service at that point. SignalFire has a ton of experience in tech-enabled services, and they really help us scale quite a bit. You know, 10 to 15x in revenue the first year uh, really helped us grow the business and unblock us in, in, in a lot of ways. Our Series A, I realized that, you know, we, we're a great consumer business, but we actually are a pretty, uh, uh, pretty specialized healthcare service. And so we need to bring investors on board that understand healthcare, that can help us get connected to payers, providers, that can help us scale a healthcare service in a high quality and a safe way for our patients uh, in a regulatory compliant way. Uh, and so I brought on Questa Capital, Frisk Ventures, City Life Capital, you know, investors with a lot of healthcare experience. And then in our Series B, we're, we're much further along. Uh, I think we're a core service in the healthcare industry now where we've seen, you know, over 17,000 patients. We've contracted with all the major commercial health plans. We're, we continue to go grow quickly. We're, we have a, a, the best care model and, and, and fantastic outcomes to support the care model in a peer-reviewed publication. So, you know, we have the basics of the business in place. Now it's time to actually scale this to realize our mission where 10 million people misuse opioids every year. And so we need to, for us to make a significant impact in the opioid epidemic, we need to reach thousands, hundreds of thousands of patients and, and scale this as a sustainable business. And that's why I ended up uh, raising money from Interalpine Partners because they have seen this story before, taking companies from Series A, Series B, all the way to being public. Uh, and, and that's the kind of expertise I need. So, you know, I feel like I have the, the luxury of being thoughtful uh, now, 
But also while bringing investors on, I always talk about this trade-off between growth and safety, right? There's always going to be times when we have to uh, think about, you know, do we want to grow more quickly or do we want to invest in clinical quality, patient safety, et cetera? And how do we trade these things off? Uh, and I think we've seen some of those examples recently with, uh, with, with companies in the telemedicine space. And, and so I think when investors share, there's no, there's no right or wrong. It's, 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 it's nuanced. And when investors share a way of thinking, a framework, a nuance that feels right, and, and that's something that I learned from, uh, that's when I know that this person's the right person to, to join our board. Now, if for you, I mean, imagine that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the mission, or let's say the, the vision, of bicycle health is fully realized. What does that world look like? Wow. That would be, that would be magical. <laughs> I think that world looks like one where addiction is understood as a medical and a behavioral health condition, just like diabetes, hypertension, uh, asthma. It's a condition to be assessed and treated. Uh, the treatment for the condition is quite widely available uh, and, and at a high quality. You know, if you get assessed with addiction, you can start treatment right away. Uh, and the treatment is high quality and will actually help you overcome your addiction or, or at least be quite functional while maintaining maintaining uh, treatment. And it's something that actually allows anyone with addiction to live a successful life, a happy life, you know, achieve independence, achieve wellness, achieve health, achieve uh, their, their, their social goals. Um, you know, it doesn't become a albatross around your neck. Uh, it, it actually becomes just another medical and behavioral health condition to be managed and improved upon and, and prevented. Now, imagine if I, let's say I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time, you know, to Stanford. You know, when you were like there, you know, uh, you know, having a chat with, with classmates and, and figuring out what you were going to do and, 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 and maybe starting a business. If you were able to, to sit down that, that younger self and tell that younger kid one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Oh, my God. I know exactly the answer to this question. What I would say is, Ankit, start doing the work, right? Like, don't overthink it. Don't think you have to read a lot or talk to a lot of people or, you know, sit in your room and write the code and rewrite the code multiple times. Like, just start doing the work. Like, put it out there, you know? Start putting posts online. Start shipping your code, start showing your work to people, start asking for help, right? Like start doing the work and, and like the bias towards action. I think I've become better at holding back my nervousness and my, you know, um, uh, kind of insecurities and, and, and just going out and, and, and doing the work. And I think that's making me, making me better at, uh, at leading, at, at raising, at producing. I love it. Now, for the people that are listening, 
that want to reach out and say hi? What is the best way to do so? Yeah, I'm open to connecting on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, my Twitter is at gunkit. Uh, my email is unkit at bicyclehealth.com. Feel free to reach out. Amazing. Well, hey, Ankit, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thanks a lot. It's been great. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.